Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. Um, N- Nash? In here. Okay, uh, N- Nash, are you, in the, are you in the basement? Yeah, through the last door on the left. Okay, why are you, whoa, what the, whoa, what is that? Is that a body? What the fuck? No, this is just a pen. Oh. Wait, do you mean on the table? Yeah, that, that's a body. That's a body. Jesus Christ, Nash. Okay, um, okay, okay. Okay, I'll get a rug. Call Melody. Tell her that the Zane Zucht protocol is in effect, okay? Christ, I gotta do all this over again. What are you saying? Um, okay, all right, rug. But wait, did you kill this person? Why what? is it? No, what? What? No, okay. Look. Looking. Don't tell Jen. Or Jake. But I rented our basement to medical examiners for extra cash. Look, man, we got rid of this. Is Wait, is this what you meant when you told Jake not to worry about Josh's social media spending? Yeah, it sure is. It's pretty cool, right? Um, I mean, cool is a word. I don't know if it's the word I'd use, but sure. Sure, buddy. Sure. Okay. Um, whew. And I am I'm a little relieved. Um, so who, who is this? Who am I looking at? Oh, man. I have no idea. Okay, well, sort of an idea. Um, okay, uh, do the real doctors know? The ones that you got, I guess, I'm guessing? Do they know that you're down here? How am I supposed to know? Uh, grab a coat, by the way. This job could be a little messy. Okay, great. Um, no, this is... This is fine. This is, this is fine. Okay, Dr. Angel. What do we know about this guy? Uh, not an actual doctor. Okay, well, definitely less than an actual body, uh, more a skeleton, so definitely been dead a while. Definitely dead. Okay, so the school sagittal suture, this this squiggly line right here, you see it? Yeah. Uh, it's at the top. Uh, it's That's completely fused, so they were at least 35. Wow. But the coronal suture in the front here, that's not all the way fused, so they were definitely under 40. Older than me, but not, like, old. Okay, well, considering we don't have to get rid of this, we'll save the teeth for later, because, I mean, they'll, they'll tell us a ton, and maybe we can even identify this person. Wait, ooh, actually, let's take a look at this pelvis real quick. Okay, you see this notch in the bone here? Yep. Okay, stick your thumb in it. Teeth are... Si- what? I'm sorry, what? Stick your thumb in there. That... That seems like a violation, but okay. Here we go. Uh, it's in. Okay. Alrighty. You're in there. Can yeah. you wiggle it? Not really. Okay. Definitely a dude skeleton then. Good job. <gasps> oh, man. That's so cool. Look at you, doctor. Oh, man. You're like that Bones character or whatever. This is so neat. Mash. Mash, buddy. Yeah. You can take your thumb out now. Oh. Sorry, buddy. Also, sorry you're dead. It's a, it's a bummer. Yeah. Sorry, dude. Wait, hang on. Did you hear that? Is that, is that footsteps? Oh, shit. It's got to be the real doctors. Play cool. Play cool. Follow my lead. What are you talking about? Just follow hmm. my lead. And the test comes back, and it turns out it is tuberculosis. Wait, who who are you? What are you doing in here? I'm, um, um, Dr. Dr. Frankenstein. It's a family name. Oh, God. Okay, sure. Who's this, then? Oh, I'm... It's my monster. 
<laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, we have to go. We're very late for dinner reservations. Mrs. Frankenstein gets cranky. You know how women are. <laughs> that was a close one up top. How did that even work? Um, Nash, listen to me. Yeah. I love you, buddy. Yeah. Just need you to know. Yeah. That I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Okay. You're a fucking... Welcome back, Skeleton Army. I'm Angel. And this living, breathing reason the show has its own lawyer on retainer is Nash. Hello. Always happy to be included in legal proceedings. Love that for us. We all know, bud. We all know. All right, just paint the picture, Nash. Just get on with it. Okay. I'm really excited. This is going to be one of those episodes that just, it's covering a huge time span. But let's hang out here for a moment. Here being 1877 in Boston, Massachusetts. Feel like we've been here a lot lately. Yeah, my hyperfixation meal is baked beans right now. Sorry. Well, this explains the studio smell. No, that's from the cat. Have, we have a cat? I mean, we don't anymore. Okay. Um. <laughs> Back to the problem at hand. Okay, so this episode requires you to walk in with only this little bit of knowledge. Coroner and medical examiner are not interchangeable terms. They do not describe... The same positions. Do you got it? You got it. Okay, great. Fun facts with Nash. Nash, we're like two seconds into this episode. It's important and also incredibly fucked up. That's your warning, by the way. That's the warning. Let's chat about the way death works prior to 1877 in the good old U.S. of A. Specifically, what happens to bodies that are no longer busy being people. We've chatted a bit about coroners before in the episode about Helen Jewett. Oh, right. Where the guy that pronounces somebody murdered also pulls together a trial at the scene with random people walking by and just kind of cosplays as a judge for an afternoon. Yeah, that one, that one. Here's the problem with coroners. They're politically appointed positions, and also you don't need fuck all to become one. You could just tap a well-connected friend on the shoulder one day and be like, Hey, buddy, I want to see some dead bodies. And bam, you're a coroner now. Uh... I'm 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 sorry. Um, so these people weren't like doctors, or even like no. shady first-year medical students, nope. or even a pretend podcast doctor. That's correct. They were none of those things. They didn't even have a theme song, bud. Oh my god! Oh, oh, oh no! I'm gonna hold his hair. Oh. Now, obviously, this presents a pretty serious problem in and of itself. If coroners don't know about bodies or medicine, they're mostly just writing down whatever they want in the little boxes that say cause of death and then bam that's what you died of but the coroner system wasn't even a fucking mess just because of that i could smell i could just you smell that sorry that might be the baked beans or the cat it's hard to tell at the stage oh i meant the rich people thing oh it's coming it's coming it does smell like beans the rich people thing but also yes Coroner is a pretty good gig all by itself, but if you want to, and you're enough of a piece of shit, you could get into some pretty sweet racketeering. You could charge grieving families whatever you want for a death certificate. You could make a backdoor deal with funeral homes for business. 
You can charge people into getting a good cause of death. You could work with criminals to cover up a murder. You could send an innocent person to jail for money or clout or just because you hated his face because you run the whole system start to finish, death to trial, baby. And even though everybody knows it, nobody can do a fucking thing about it. Jesus Christ. Um, quick question. Was the corner system developed by Steve Jobs and also Satan? Don't drag Satan into this. He's a good dude. Way nicer than God. Very fair. I apologize. Okay, so how do we permanently ban corners from all corners of the earth? We don't. But the good news is that even though corners exist today, it's not the same shit, which is how we get to today's episode. Obviously. In 1877, the entire coroner system gets the boot right out of Boston because, and this is true, the body of a newborn is found in a trash can. A coroner gets called. He declares the baby dead. Quote, death at the hands of a person unknown, end quote, and he runs a quick inquest. Everyone in the inquest gets paid, and so does he. And that's where it should have ended. Should have ended. Oh. Oh, no. Instead... Of it ending right there. The coroner gives the body of the baby to a coroner friend. Oh, boy. Now, there aren't limits on how many coroners any town or city could have, so they tend to just have a pointless amount. Here we go. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Rich bastards. Mm. Crisp. So he gives the body of the baby to a friend, and that friend plants it in another dumpster. Then he finds it. That's in quotes. And then he gets to run his little own inquest and gets paid for it. He gives that baby to another coroner friend. And the whole process begins again. Coroner number three gives baby to coroner number goddamn four. And thankfully, four is where it stops. Because the public finds out. And with every fucking reason on earth, they're incredibly fucking upset. Okay, that's it. You know what? I'm done. I'm done. This is too fucked up. This is bullshit. I'm taking my headphones off. It fucking smells like beans in here. Is this the worst fun facts we've ever had? Yes. It's also the longest. Probably. Smelly? So after 1877, Boston's like, hey, fuck this. And they require a medical doctor to be in charge of death investigations. Okay, so now that we're done with that total fucking nightmare, I'm very happy for all of you to meet my good buddy, George Burgess McGrath. Despite the white guy three-name situation, I'm actually not being sarcastic at all. George is a pathologist, and he is the second person to be appointed as a medical examiner in Boston, which happens in 1907. And even though it's been 30 goddamn years since the position got created, George inherits a fucking mess. There's no how-tos, no files, and the only way to get around, you know, to fucking crime scenes, is in his official horse-drawn carriage. The morgue, by the way, even shittier than our studio basement. See, that's what I'm saying. Quiet, you. And he's got no money to really do anything. So after months of asking in 1908, McGrath finally gets an office phone, stationery, some assistance, and an annual salary for himself of $3,000. Ah, the early 20th century version of sucking dick for water. <laughs> As part of his job, he gets a side hustle job that pays only in cloud at good old Harvard University, where he teaches once a week on legal medicine, the old timey term for forensics. So now McGrath is a medical examiner and he's like real, real dedicated. To, like, like he's fucking in it, bro. Yeah. Like he is dedicated to it. Like this is, this isn't a job for him. This is his fucking life. Like homeboy is very good at his job. 
He studied legal medicine in Europe, and he's committed to solving crimes using science and logic. He's Batman. He's basically Batman if he was poor and not very healthy. I feel like he sounds more like Sherlock Holmes if Sherlock Holmes was poor. All of a sudden, I'm wondering why all crime fighters are rich dudes. And they say money doesn't solve problems. He, they don't. Oh. Tell, tell me one thing Batman solved. Making bats sexy again. <laughs> <laughs> Only people with money ever say that, Nash. Oh. So in 1929, our boy isn't doing super great. And he's admitted to the Phillips house, which is like a half hospital, half resort for people doing recovery because medical reasons. And by some dink, his best friend's sister, a lovely, albeit stubborn lady called Frances Lee Glesner, that's an actual name, is also at the Phillips house, recovering from some surgical procedure that we don't actually know anything about. We looked it up, and the actual medical book said, no, I don't fucking know. It said, mind your business. <laughs> it's like, and lady never tells. And then right under it says boobies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are chilling and reminiscent, and then McGrath becomes a sad boy and starts being in his feelings about things. Those things being his job. See, George takes unexpected death real serious, and he's determined to reform the whole system, but he knows that when he dies... All of his notes and planning and pushing to better his office are going to be lost because the system doesn't really give a shit about making absolutely certain that somebody was or was not murdered. Completely unlike today, where we need to make certain, but also maybe we don't care unless they're white. And everybody knows the system needs to be reformed. In 1928, a year earlier, a report was released by the National Research Council called the Coroner and the Medical Examiner, and it's basically as brutal as some crime scenes, saying that the coroner's office, quote, have conclusively demonstrated an incapacity to perform the functions that are required of it, end quote. So George's hatred, you hear about this? Yeah. Pretty on point. And George doesn't get on super well with the police either, because they muck up all over his crime scenes and they destroy a lot of potential evidence in the process. And he's pretty sure... They will also be glad to not have to deal with him. I mean, I get it. Mm -hmm. A cab, am I right? While George is being a sad boy, though, he says something to Francis that gets her gears turning and changes both of their lives and the history of forensics forever. Oh my God, it's a double rainbow. No, he says the internal organs are beautiful. Oh, oh, oh no. I'm sorry. Yeah. He says, internal organs are beautiful. He sure does. Uh, why? We'll get there in a hot second. First, let me tell you a little bit about McGrath and why he's special. Because he's a fucking weirdo. With the, we yeah. just went through this. Yeah, I know. So he's a scientist and a pathologist. He's seen a lot of dead people. And in his study of those dead people and how they came to be dead people, he's realized a lot of things. And one of those things, which he tells Francis about at length one day when he takes her to the morgue casually is lividity. Casually? He's just like, hey babe, look how this blood pulls inside a dead person and shows on the skin. Yep. Do you want more of this ice cream? I imply mm. they had ice cream and they're in the morgue eating ice cream. <laughs> He's like pointing with the cone. <laughs> it's like dripping. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, exactly. Oop, that's not supposed to be in there. Puts his finger in like, yep. <laughs> hey sweetheart, check out how you could tell how long a person has been dead by the intensity of the color of lividity. Yo, baby girl, let me see if you could tell if someone had moved a body because in the first six or so hours, lividity can shift if you move somebody, but after 12 hours, it's fixed on those spots. Yeah, that's kind of the gist of it, actually. Jesus Christ. Was he also like, hey, girl, the reason we cut the chest open first during postmortem and at the school is that all that blood can pull in the abdomen, so there's trauma in the brain. We'll still be able to see it. Also, yes. Ooh. 
Were they fucking? History says no, but then again, history says no about a lot of gays that were quote-unquote historical best friends. <laughs> Who's to say really happy Pride Month? On the other hand, though, would you fuck somebody who was like, internal organs are more gorgeous than a sunset, baby cakes? Look at this fresh corpse. Um. Okay, then. All right. So after this fun afternoon outing, Lee goes home and she reads the coroner and the medical examiner report. And she's like, yo, this is fucked up. Wait, just to confirm, yeah. the lady wasn't like a doctor or a cop or anything. She's just a rich lady with a dream. A dream to what? Overhaul the entire legal medicine system in the United States, obviously. Well, all right then. Just a little quick bio for our gal, Frances. She's born on March 25th, 1878 in Chicago. Woo! To really rich parents. Boo. When I say really rich, I mean daddy is an entrepreneur who owns part of the most prominent farming equipment company in the United States. Baby. Boo this man. They got two house money. That's what we're saying. Two separate houses. Incredible. Now girls aren't allowed to do pretty much anything except to look pretty and have babies. So no modern parallels. So Frances watches her older brother go off to Harvard, and she marries a lawyer and has a few kids of her own. Then, in the most badass way possible, she's like, actually, you know what? Uh, I think I'll just pass on this and properly ask her husband to move out. I love that for her. She was just like, never mind. Off you go. Uh, actually, I'm good. Yeah. What do you mean you're good? I'm good. I'm just all right, thanks. What does that mean? Just, just, bzzz, bzzz. That's how you know somebody has, like, safety net money, when they're just like, you can go at any time. I'm all set. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Frances loves throwing herself into projects, probably for that sweet, sweet alone time. Anyway, after her autopsy with George, she makes a plan for a three-branch system, which she likens to a stool, which consists of medicine, the law, and police. And all of those branches need to be trained in how to deal with unexpected dead people. A dream is a wish your heart makes when okay. it's... Okay, bud. <clears throat> so how does uh, one lady with a oh, shit ton of money reform the system? Well, first, she calls up Harvard University. Oh, where George teaches. Yes, where he teaches for free. And he's only just sort of a lecturer in media legal studies. So Francis calls up the president of Harvard and is like, hey, what if... Hear me out. You made a department of legal medicine and gave George a salary and made him the chair of said department and gave him like stipends to travel and shit. And they said yes. They did say yes, but only because she pays for the entire thing herself, including George's annual salary. She pays for it? She sure does. And she only asked for one thing in return from them, that she be allowed to be George's teaching assistant. She pays money mm -hmm. so she can have an unpaid internship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean... And they're not fucking. Th well, <laughs> you get a shrug on that. <laughs> I, but, okay, women couldn't even go to Harvard in 1931, so it's like a super-duper secret unpaid internship. Huh. What's it called when rich people pretend to be poor people? Undercover boss. So she undercover bosses the situation? Yeah. And George is like, yeah, sure, this is hot, let's do it. You could pay me to work at Harvard, and then you could work for me for free, and after hours, you're a bad, bad student. CVS bangers. So George actually never knows about the arrangement. Never finds out. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. The fuck? Yeah. The who? Yeah. Lee pays a salary for years, and she also pays the salary of two other medical examiners who got Harvard appointments in the Department of Legal Medicine. 
She also pays for him to have a secretary. <sighs> and a librarian. And the department has its own library separate from the medical college library. And that library be named after... You want to guess? Mm, Conan O'Brien. Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Just kidding. It's George McGrath. She pays for all that. And then anytime Sartman is Harvard is like, I don't know, Francis. She's like, guess what, y'all? My will is going to have cool money for you. And she dangles that like a goddamn carrot, a golden carrot, if golden carrots are worth $1 million. At this point, you're probably like, wait, what the fuck is even legal medicine? Black death, polio, spontaneous combustion. Dying comes and after death comes decomposition. It may seem sad and also gross, but here you are and here's your host, not an actual doctor, but it's medical, medical, medical facts with Dr. A. Legal medicine is the grandfather of forensics. That's the medical facts. Thanks for coming, everybody. All right, let's wrap it up, boys. Let's get out of here. Let's get rid of the goddamn bean smell. Nah, I'm kidding. Your boy has jokes. Medical school taught doctors how to fix the living, but not how to look at the dead. And pathology was cool, but again, sort of on all living focused. And much like us, we like to focus on the dead. Mm. Neither of those professions were going to tell you much about how to read a crime scene or what the various stages of decomposition look like. So when you're trying to hire a medical examiner, or if you're trying to backdoor hire some people to quote unquote work at Harvard teaching medical examiner 101, you kind of, kind of want them to know, kind of want them to know what the difference is between a self-inflicted gunshot wound and I don't know, you know, murder. Yeah. Thankfully, this is Harvard University, the University of Phoenix of Ivy League schools. No, Nash, that's brown. <laughs> <laughs> Burn. <laughs> In case we haven't adequately given you Francis's character yet, here's a quick little aside just for fun. In 1935, a sprightly young man called J. Edgar Hoover gets a visit from Francis at his new job at a little place. You might... Get together? No recognize so 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 not the ymca close close at the fbi okay you guys can go home now okay uh so francis just goes to the fbi she sure does knock knock hello this is the fbi now the fbi isn't that old at this point and it's only a few years after the abduction and murder of the Lindbergh baby so the fbi is kind of like hot shit at this point because they've just been granted jurisdiction over all kidnappings in the u.s so Francis just calls J. Edgar and is like, hey, boo-boo. <laughs> yep. Hey, boo-boo. Is that a picnic basket? Rich people are out of touch. I know, right? No. Uh, so Francis just calls J. Edgar up and is like, hey, boo-boo, what's going on, baby? What's cooking? How you living, baby boy? Oh, that dress looks wonderful on you. Oh, my God. Pretty much. It's even more wild because reportedly J. Edgar Hooves had a big issue with women. Irony. Like a big capital letter problem like he rolls on scene as the director in 1924 and his first act day one first act is firing all of the women and banning them for being hired as agents moving forward just seems like a nice guy day one pretty fitting for a cop actually yeah day one shit anyway our girl rolls up and is like hey bud what if you actually trained your agents in forensics harvard can help 
And you could probably also help Harvard. Look at that. Oh, let me guess. He pretty much does nothing. He gives her a tour of the building. He fingerprints her for posterity. And he sends her on her merry way. But other dudes that meet her during the trip, the guy that fingerprinted her mainly, puts a memo in her file that's like, this lady is dope. And I bet she's going to get legal medicine all the way done, even without help, which... Go that guy. Thanks. In December 1938, our good friend, old buddy, old pal, George Burgess McGrath dies at 68 yeah i'm going to read the new york times announcement <clears throat> just for fun okay great <clears throat> dr gb mcgrath criminologist 68 medical examiner at boston 1907 through 35 who helped solve thousands of cases dies long on harvard staff taught legal medicine there for 30 years ex osman was noted rowing official a patron of music member of medical groups that really sums up a life uh, McGrath is replaced at Harvard by a pathologist named Alan Richards Moritz. Replaced by a new white guy, three names. I think we might need a theme song for this. <sighs> white guy, three names. They think they're cool, they're not. I mean, we don't need... They die in vain as a big tool he rots. Unless they are actually good, then please send them love if you would. But chances are they fuck shit up for minorities or were serial killers like John Wayne Gacy. So our boy Alan spends his first two years abroad checking out how Europe was handling the situation while he's living his best violent death cap years. You know, as you do. Legal medicine at Harvard is just kind of chilling for a bit, just coasting. But Francis and Alan are like writing letters, making plans. And while he's away, Francis is also just spending cash at Amazon.com building out the McGrath Library and mildly bullying Harvard into giving her space and resources. Sometimes, okay, pretty often, at her own expense. In 1943, after years of Francis pushing forward and trying to hold conferences and create a shared, uniformed partnership between the state of Massachusetts and Harvard University for legal medicine, and having gotten zero of that, Alan gets Francis appointed as a consultant to Harvard. Basically, it gives her Harvard stationery. But it's still two years before women can even go to Harvard. So, like, yes. Okay. We see you. Also in 1943... It's our girl's year, apparently. Pretty much no one else's year, but yeah. In 1943, Francis gets commissioned as captain in the New Hampshire State Police. She is the first woman in the U.S. to be made Capitan. And this time, she didn't even have to pay someone's salary for years to get it. She has been collaborating with New Hampshire for years after starting to host one and two day conferences at Harvard with the sole intent of improving the police's ability to recognize and evaluate crime scenes. Ah, if only she was still around. But as Frances is teaching these conferences, she wonders, how can you possibly teach a person what's important at a crime scene? How can you train somebody to notice what's there and what's not there and draw conclusions from that? Yes. <sighs> How indeed. Now, one thing you didn't know about Frances is that she loves a good diorama. In fact, she loves them so much that she once gifted an impossibly detailed, small-scale version of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra to her mother when she was young. And so Frances, the loveliest, richest, creepiest woman on earth, is like, what if, hear me out, I made tiny little crime scene dollhouses for the police to look at, you know, for science. And they weren't just little baby crime scenes, plain and simple. Because our Francis does nothing without committing her whole fucking life to it. So these dioramas sweep the floor with basically anything a gifted 15-year-old has ever presented at a science conference. In case you're like, 
How detailed can it be? Allow me to let Frances explain herself. Most of the furniture and small objects work. Doors and dressers open, stove lids lift, and corks come out of bottles. Halter and belt buckles work. Books open and have pictures pages inside. And the knitting is real. Are, are you doing an impression of me? Yeah, the script says, as an elderly. Okay. I'm Nash. <coughs> I know about death a lot. I can't tell when someone likes me. Life is hard as a white woman. You good? You get it all out? I'm approved for Twitter super follows. Okay, I'm done. She also makes sure the furniture isn't rich people doll furniture. These little couches are custom made, custom stained, lay people couches. The bodies are blood stained presenting lividity, rigor mortis, decomposition. She makes blood splatter with nail polish. She half-burned one down in order to demonstrate what it might look like if someone tried to cover up a murder with fire. She holds the first week-long seminar for police in 1945 in the McGrath Library at Harvard and displays her 19 nutshell studies of unexplained death. The studies have no answers because life is frustrating and so is Francis. But she's also rich as hell. So at the beginning of the seminar, there's like a super dope rich people dinner. And Francis also makes the seminar fee be paid by the police department, not the officer, so that everyone is invested into doing some learning. I'm going to learn me a thing. That dinner cost $25,000, by the way. Francis insists on gold leaf plates and rich people food. Just... Wanted to include that in this episode, because even though Francis is dope as shit... Definitely the best rich person we've ever talked about on the show. Rich people don't do small gestures. She wanted the police officers that attended this training to feel super duper special. So instead of learning their names or giving them special little hugs, she just spends $25,000 on dinner. You know, just classic rich people shit. At the end of each seminar, Francis gives everyone a neat little certificate and also gives the following speech, which is very good and bears repeating. There's no place for guesswork at any sort of police work whatsoever, especially not in homicide investigation. The officer is not protecting or avenging anyone, but seeking through patient, painstaking, accurate hard work. Whatever happened, never making a guess and then searching for evidence to support it. If you cannot approach a case with these convictions, you should resign at once. There is no place for you either in police work. Hell yeah. Now, the homicide seminar wasn't just the nutshell studies and Francis being a badass after rich people dinner. Other people are also there and give speeches and lectures on medical examinery stuff. Moritz talks a bit about body identification specific to the 1942 Coconut Grove fire, which killed 493 people and who he himself helped identify. The seminars continue annually, and so does the growth of the Department of Legal Medicine at Harvard, though neither at the breadth nor comprehensiveness that Francis wanted. As she gets older, she grows more and more annoyed at Harvard's complete lack of interest in legal medicine and in her seminars, which she runs completely on her own. You know you could end that sentence with annoyed at Harvard. That's fair. When Moritz leaves to become the director at his old gig at the Pathology Institute, Harvard replaces him with a Dr. Richard Ford at Moritz's behest. But even though he's a good pathologist, he's kind of a drunk and he's sort of mean. And under him, the department just kind of wanes this man died of suffocation it's burnt to a crisp he suffocated <laughs> you <laughs> idiot diane i miss you <laughs> in, in 1951 lee then 73 writes down a note to her advisory board who are managing her legacy and in that document she basically roasts harvard into the earth 
and I quote, Harvard has the reputation of being ultra-guyish and ungrateful and stupid, and I have indeed found this reputation to be deserved. Hello, 911? Oh, you don't exist until 1968. Well, there's been a murder. Yes, I'll hold. But Frances doesn't die in 1951, even though she's got heart problems and joint problems and, you know what, just a whole lot of problems. She can't even hear or see, quite frankly. She lives another 11 years, but she never forgets how much she hates Harvard University. And she dies on January 27th, 1962. And she leaves Harvard, exactly, hang on, let me double check my notes here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, we got a Harvard's counting. Yeah. Uh, we we logged into the system. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Oh, here it is. Yep. Uh, zero dollars. Burn. However, in a move one can only call fucking rude, Harvard dissolves the Department of Legal Medicine and absorbs it into the medical school in 1965. Go fuck yourself. Dr. Ford, the former chair of the department, later goes on to shoot himself in the head in 1970. Um... In case you're counting deaths, Harvard has been basically caused from work stress in the legal medicine department at this point. It's two. It's George Burgess McGrath, the OG, and now Dr. Richard Ford. May you haunt Harvard's halls. In case you're wondering, the nutshell studies still exist today. They're on permanent loan from Harvard, of course, to the state of Maryland, housed in the Forensic Medical Center in Baltimore. They are still being used for the seminars, which today are called the Francis Glessner Lee Seminar in Homicide Investigation. Classic Harvard. You guys didn't deserve to get your one million endowment, you pieces of shit. Pieces of shit. You butts. Rich bastards. Thankfully, we've implemented a complete and cohesive death investigation system here in the States. Thanks to Francis. Wait, hang on one second. I'm getting some new information via my headset. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Really? Wow. Okay. Just kidding. There are 2,342 systems in the U.S. Okay. I'm being told it gets worse. 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 Worse, about one half of the U.S. is still served under their coroner system, which is better than it was in 1877, but still, you know, women can go to Harvard now. There are about one million sudden deaths in the U.S. each year, and only about half of those are ever examined by a forensic pathologist. Uh, Okay, Dom, get the necro gear. Got it. Wait, what are we doing? What are we doing? We're getting Frances up. She's got more shit to do. Let's go, let's go. On that... Probably illegal? No, that's the episode. A special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Left to right, Josh. <sighs> a rate and review would also be nice. Hey, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Gorilla Jokes. And I'm at It's Nash Flynn. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. Kyle! That is not the correct blood! I feel warm. Is that candle, does it need to be that close to me? Uh, Want to become an official member of the Skeleton Army? Join us on Patreon. We use it to cover our sound guy's medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to die we talk about on the show. Speaking of Patreon, let's thank our listeners at the Brendan Fraser level. Shout out to you, Vincent V. Wink. You know what you did. Wink, wink. So check it out at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. We've got a website now, deathfriends.org. That's .org. Join us as we make the entire internet worse. Okay, the laughing gas is working. That's good. <laughs> All righty. Now, everybody, while we set this whole shenanigans up, we need you to tell you something. It's important. Yeah. You hear about this? Death yeah. is tricky to talk about. So please remember that you are loved and you matter. And if you don't want to be your own friend, we will happily be your friend. Holy shit. All right, buddy, uh, wrap it up, wrap it up. We uh, we have a fancy dinner to get to. Hey, Franny, what's cooking? How you been?
Skeleton. Until next time, Skeleton Army. Stay spooky. Love you. Love you. Oh, God. Oh, God. Tell me, did you keep the plates? This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. The fuck is a knave? Remember this is a comedy podcast? Don't use it in your research papers. Fun facts with Nash. You got this. You can do it. Wait, I gotta do it too. It doesn't want to come out. Oh my god. (laughs) How did you do this? I don't know. (laughs) It's spreading. I'm like the worst heartburn, like instantly. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's a little bit, but it really hurt. (laughs) 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 We're playing with fire. Death? Good old Harvard University. (laughs) That's how they speak there. Harvard. Welcome to Harvard University, (laughs) brother. I'll tell you what. Uh, We run the National Lampoon. Death? But also, maybe we don't care unless they're white. No modern parallels. That old chestnut. (laughs) Oh, you. Racism. Get out of here. Get out! (laughs) The gun noise. (laughs) You go on and get, boy. Oh, no, that's racist. I can't. (laughs) Oh, no. You defeat racism with racism. (laughs) With racism. Racism squared. (laughs) Life is a... Time is a flat circle. Um. Death? Lee pays his salary. <laughs> Sorry. Lee- First of all, this episode has mad Pompeii energy. Oh, no. I know. It's uh... it's disgusting. <laughs> I'm just a soundboard at this point. Uh, put this in the fucking bloopers. <laughs> Death? So at the beginning of the seminar, there's like super dupe, super dupe. Super dupe. <laughs> Sorry, I had a burp coming through and I was like, come on, Angel, make it through. You almost had it. All right. A super dope bridge perp. A super dope, a rich people dinner, and friend <laughs> Fucking Nash, how dare you write this? Death? Francis insists on gold leaf. She insists? Does she? I don't know. Um, she's, it's late, we're tired. <clears throat> it's Pride Month. Francis insists on gold leaf plates. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> what? Sorry, Dom, I'm extra gay. That's <laughs> how it works. <laughs> Sorry, Dom, I'm struggling. I have the taste of pussy in my mouth. I'm just... That's what uh... the lisp is. It's just fluid. Oh, God. <laughs> Jazz <Woo>. hands. <clears throat> Woo. I hope not in there. That would be awful. That's what you think. Like, no. What are you doing? I have tiny hands, so it feels great. No, no, this is getting worse. This is this is the horniest we've ever been. It's Pride Month. Francis insists on death. You should resign at once. There's no. I like how, as me, you accidentally said the word resign. Very, very Mexican. I know. Yeah, that's how you sound. You're like, hey, dog, hey, fool. That's what I sound like. of Nash. Yeah. Hey, dog, what's up? Hey, I gotta go put the chickens up, dog. The fucking ducks won't go to sleep, fool. It's fucking Pride Month, dog. <laughs> it's fucking Pride Month. We out here eating box all goddamn... <laughs> tacos. Tacos, baby. I didn't want to say tacos because that's racist now. <laughs> Damn wow. it. Death? Harvard has a reputation of being old... How do I even pronounce that word? Fogeyish. Uh, dude, don't be mad. I was about to pronounce it fogeyish. <laughs> <laughs> it's Pride Month. <laughs> <laughs> Death? And I'm a 
<laughs> I just fucked up my own handle. <laughs> Fucking Nash. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus. And I'm... <laughs> I don't even know anymore. Death? Daddy joke.